I'm Kim Skrupski. I'm here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at Dr. Carrie Ward from Duke. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Kim. How are you? Really excited about our conversation. Um, friends, uh, Ann Brown. Now, you know Dr. Ann Brown from Duke. She's been on the podcast at least two times now. She referred me to Dr. Carrie Ward, and that's how we have Dr. Ward. So see how easy referring people and amplifying and lifting people up and sponsoring people? It's part of what we do, right? Well, let me tell you about Dr. Carrie Ward. She's an associate professor of medicine at Duke University Medical Center. She practices in congenital heart disease and is making a lot of headway in a very new field or expertise of cardiac obstetrics. Super new and very interesting. Maybe she'll tell us a bit about how that came about. But most exciting for us is she's now the Associate Dean for Faculty Development. So congratulations, Carrie. Thank and you. What you're going to learn today is her trajectory. How did she come into faculty affairs and development? Because like most of us, it's not part of our curriculum in medical school or in our doctoral training. We don't even know it exists, most of us. So we're going to learn a little bit about Carrie's leadership transition. And then she has two really interesting topics that we're going to talk about. And I'm not going to be a spoiler a spoiler for you. So again, Carrie, welcome. Thank you so much for making time for being with everybody here on the Faculty Factory podcast. I'll just let you take it away. Uh, thank you, Kim. Yeah, I am very excited and honored to be here. Um, as you said, Ann Brown is a big mentor slash sponsor slash friend of mine. Um, and so uh, when she recommended doing this, obviously, I'm a little bit nervous. I've never been on a podcast before, but Ann assured me that you are a very easy person to talk to. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Uh, um, so yeah, I thought it'd be fun to sort of think about um, or talk about my trajectory to faculty development, uh, which is really not something I um, thought I would do. And I always start, whenever I talk to faculty about faculty development, I always start with sort of the idea that my career trajectory has been very nonlinear. I think young faculty often think, we talk to them about their five and 10 year plan, and they think there's some kind of linear, you know, goal driven journey. And mine has really been all over the place. Um, I do think it's important to know that my parents, I grew up in an academic household. So both my parents were college professors. So from a very young age, I have heard about faculty and tenure and faculty affairs and you know, research, just all the things that go into being in an academic world. Um, and so that piece came very, um, sort of comes very naturally to me. Um, but I guess the first time, you know, when I was in training as a cardiologist, I I mean, I was did congenital heart disease, as you said, and I actually developed this love for cardio OB. Um, but really my first kind of leadership role was that um, I was the inpatient champion for Maestro, which is what we call Epic at Duke. Um, and it was through that, you know, I didn't know anything about IT or software or any of that stuff, but I learned from that experience that I loved working with faculty from like a lot of different disciplines. Like it wasn't enough to sort of just work with cardiologists. I love meeting anesthesia and peds. And, um, and so that was sort of my first experience working with a diverse group of faculty. Um, and then I did, I sort of took on some credentialing work, which again is the job no one wants to do. Like who wants to do credentialing? <laughs> Um, but that too was like, my, I love that job because I got to work with the chair of medicine and I got to work with faculty again, a diverse group, learn about their lives and what they do. Um, and then I did the sort of mid-career women's leadership program here at Duke. And that is a program that Ann Brown um, 
obviously was the brain uh, sort of the thought leader on, and is actually based on Elam. Um, mm-hmm. With the idea that, you know, we, we can only send one or two people to ELAM every year, but why not spread this opportunity to other faculty? Mm-hmm. So that was where I got the faculty development bug. Um, I loved every minute of that class. I loved all of it. Um, and so after that, another leadership program, the faculty director position opened up. Um, and that was in 2018. Um, and I applied for and was lucky enough to get that job. And so um, that's kind of how I got into this space. Um, and as I tell people, it really like every day feels just like fun. Like it's not even a, like this is a job that I get to do this. Like it's just really fun. So you you got the title associate dean for faculty development back in eighteen. No, no, that's a more recent thing. So that came okay. just this this August. So okay. for the four intervening years, I kind of led this mid career clinical leadership program that we administer through the office. Okay, so. Thank you so much for sharing this, Carrie. I love people's stories, and I think it is so important to share our stories because, as you mentioned, so many of us have these, we fall into this social comparison crap where we think, oh, they're doing it better, faster, smarter than me. What am I doing? Why am I meandering about? And how come I don't, I'm not more, more certain of what I want to do? And, and could we just take you back to the first uh, electronic medical rep record. It, ours is called Epic. Yours is called here. What's it called? Here. Well, it's Epic, but we call it Maestro. You know, they right, have, Maestro. have a name it's or very, whatever. It's a lot more musical, so I love it. So you, you get this. Can you tell us what that was? Because you said I'm not an IT person. I was not big into like, you know, I, you don't need to say gadgetry, but so you weren't like Inspector Gadgety, and you weren't all IT. But what was the the exact ask? that got you to go, all right. And then once, what, what was the ask? How did that look? Mm-hmm. And then when you said you were happy to be working with a heterogeneous or diverse group of faculty members, what were you exactly doing? And I'm assuming you were training, but can you put us back there so that faculty can hear those kind of similar opportunities? And even if they're not into XYZ, they can do it. So how did that come about? Um, well, it also is actually a great story because, um, you know, it sort of highlights the the role, sort of role, role of sponsorship in all of our career development. So I had another uh, mentor, Dr. Tom Bayshore, who I know many of your colleagues will know. Um, and he came up to me one day. I was I had been I'd been on faculty as junior faculty member. I was like struggling with sort of what I love to do in research. I had um, two babies at home, so I had a lot of different pulls on my life. Um, and he said, oh, I recommended you for this job. He's like, they need somebody um, who knows cardiology and has a lot of common sense. And he's like, that narrowed it down to like two people. And you were <laughs> one of them. <laughs> and so the job really, I mean, when I look back on it, Kim, I actually laugh a bit because I'm not really sure what I did. But my main thing I remember is it was my job to communicate to our faculty what Maestro was going to look, what Epic would look like at Duke. And it was also my job to represent cardiology on these meetings about kind of clinical workflows, kind of what would need to be set up, what worked for the clinic, um, you know, our variety of clinics and different specialties. I mean, so I really was kind of this intermediary between sort of the software developers and my own faculty. And I was very much a cheerleader, you know, nobody, everyone was curmudgeonly about changing to Epic. Um, and so that was kind of the role I played. I sort of was like a liaison more than anything else. But I, you know, the part that I realized I liked was 
I sat in this room with like all these different faculty from Duke and we kind of shared experience and I got to know a lot of people throughout the institution. Um, and I even enjoyed like the software, like, you know, as you said, the sort of inspector gadgety people who were like thinking about the actual details of the software. Um, and so it was just fun. It was just fun to like be in that space. Oh, so now I heard three things that I wrote down common sense, because you're rare that you had cardiology and common sense. And it cracked me up that you said, I really can't remember how it happened, probably because it was so commonsensical to you. It was so natural to you that you didn't make a big point to remember it because it was organic to you, which tells me as a leader and as a faculty member, it's so important to understand our strengths. But it was just he saw in you a common sense that was unique, as he mentioned, and clearly someone who was able to communicate and encourage and inspire through your cheerleading. So Mm -hmm. this is a leader who saw those characteristics in you. And so I think as a leader perspective, from the leader viewpoint, it's important that we have those, the spider sense to be able to see what is, this is going to take someone who's going to have an attention to detail. People are going to be crunchy about it. So they have to help people smooth out the crunchy bits and they have to be able to be logical and commonsensical. That's the leader going, aha, Dr. Kerry Ward. And then on the other side, as faculty members, as we're maybe trying to be seen, because the same thing happened to me, Carrie. I was asked to run a research mentoring, build a research mentoring program. I had no idea what a mentoring program was. And it was because, oh, you're, you're good at this, that, and the other. So the same thing. As a faculty member, leaders are watching us. And so how can we how can we showcase our strengths and and build on those strengths? And then on the contrary, identify our blind spots and our opportunities for improvement. And that's all about the leadership training is learning. This is my personality preference from my MBTI or my Clifton Strengths or my Enneagram. This is what I'm good at. And this is where I need some work, which is why I need to round out my team with a Carrie Ward kind of person. So we learn to I think there's so much wisdom in just that little story of how you got to where you were. Right. And I really credit, I mean, I don't think I knew any of that stuff about myself at the time. I think, like you said, Dr. Bayshore just sort of saw something in me that made me him think of me for this job. I also think an important lesson for junior faculty in there is that I didn't, I mean, I, it was not something I had ever set out to do. I mean, it is true. I was wandering a little bit at the time, so I needed something to latch onto, but this has been a theme kind of throughout my career, which is that um, I'm not afraid to take on opportunities that maybe I didn't predict. In fact, I have a husband. uh, My husband is also a faculty member here at Duke, and he runs a research program. And I always say to him, like, you can only be happy doing one thing, which is your research on this one molecule. I can be happy doing lots of things. Um, And so I've never been sort of... um, like we said before, it's been it's created a very nonlinear nonlinear pathway for me, but I've just been very open to opportunities and then shaped the opportunities in a way that w- were beneficial to me or played to my strengths, as you said. Um, and ultimately, that worked out okay. Now, um, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe in other experiences, like people are really expecting certain deliverables and certain like ways in which the job would look when they hire someone, but I never. I just sort of did my thing um, and made sure I was having fun. And um, for me, that's a big theme. Like if things aren't fun, like I don't really want to do them. Tapping out. I totally hear you. So that that's another important lesson. 
always be aware of opportunities, making sure that people know what we're good at. And that, that has to do with a certain a bit of um, promoting yourself with some grace and dignity and making sure people understand where you have expertise and what you love and what brings you joy, as you're saying, what makes me happy. And I'm wondering now, I've tried, always try to put myself in an early career junior faculty member's shoes and they're going, well, this is great. But like she said, people ask me to do stuff. And if it's not, you know, you always tell us, Kim, in these leadership programs to be mission centric and what's your mission and always make doing things that's going to get you on your mission. What if someone's asking me to, you know, do an, a maestro thing? And that's not mission centric for me. So how do I know if this little bit of a pivot is going to hurt me or harm me? And I guess I'm leading to, did you have conversations with mentors or with your one molecule man at home? Like, how did that, how did, or did you just organically took it? Um, so how could you advise someone to go, don't be so quick to go, yes, 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 yes. Because we tell faculty, you know, no is a sentence. It's a complete sentence. Yes. And when to say, if you say yes to everything, you're saying no to the important thing. So how did you, How? what would you say? It's such a good question. I do think there are different types of faculty members. I mean, there are certainly people who know what they want from the very beginning. I want a research program. I want to have NIH funding. And yes, those people have to be very focused um, and sort of make more, maybe more um, critical or what would the word be like uh, informed decisions about things. I was at a little bit of time in my career when I was a little bit lost. And so it was just, an, it was kind of an opportunity to have another sort of another piece of my, or add something to my repertoire. So I definitely think, you know, I, when we sort of talk to junior faculty, I do a lot of time management counseling um, here. And what I always, you know, my husband used to say to me, like, um, you know, again, very different people and very different objectives, but he would say like, he would tell me that someone had called him to do something and he just said no. And I was like, well, how can you say no to that? And he'd say, because that doesn't advance my objectives. That doesn't make my research better. And so for him, that was the appropriate tactic to take. And he's been very successful and he has never looked back. He never like wanted people, you know, his objectives weren't to have a lot of friends at work and <laughs> It's just very different. It's just that one molecule, that one yeah. molecule, that one molecule. That's all he cares about. So I think for faculty who have that drive and that sort of focus, yeah. their decision making has to be very different. Yeah. But for me, as a faculty member who loved my clinical work and was really looking for another way to contribute to the academic mission, as you said, this was something I could do that you know leadership was needed, was happy about, and and I was willing to sort of learn about. And so I, I think it depends a lot on where you are in your career, what your goals are, right. kind of, you know, I think everybody's situation is a little bit different, but I think the key about your point is to talk to people. You know, I, I did talk to uh, Dr. Bashar, obviously as a mentor. I talked to my husband who has been a mentor of mine. Um, and he said, you're crazy to do that. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> and I did it anyway. <laughs> um, I talked to the leadership that of the sort of IT group kind of about what I would be doing. Um, and I looked for other people um, who were doing it as well. And sort of this sort of, you know, kind of as we were, you know, one of the things that I thought about talking about today was sort of purposeful connectedness. Like what do we kind of know about the people we're getting into things with? And um, I knew a few of the people who were doing this and I was like, I can hang out with that person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dr. Bashar also gave me another piece of wisdom when I was, uh, he was the fellowship director for here for a long time. And one time he said to me about applicants, he was like, Carrie, they're all smart. You just have to figure out who you want to hang out with every day. 
And that is sort of a thing I've used a lot. It was like the people who were doing this, I felt like I could be with them and have a good time and enjoy it. Um, Because for me, it's really all about relationships. Um, I can do anything if I enjoy the people I'm with. I I love that, Carrie. I, I was thinking as you're talking, I'm also one of those people who I grow where I am planted. So yeah. you put me in some good Very soil, well some good, I, I'll grow wherever. And what I also really love about what you said, Carrie, was you were, I think you said something like I was in a confusing time in my life, or I was kind of like, not really digging what you're doing. And the, what, what I was immediately thinking was, gosh, so many times I talk to faculty, and I'm sure you do, every week and doing all this coaching. And you know, we have different seasons of our life in academic medicine and academia and assistant, associate, professor. And you get, sometimes we get to the point where you've done the thousandth procedure or written the hundredth paper, submitted the millionth grant, gotten slapped around for a gazillion times that you're not good enough, it's not going to get published, it's not going to get funded, whatever, whatever. And you're kind of like, Ugh. and sometimes instead of when we feel this sense of, mid-career malaise or whatever season of life this malaise or this feeling of exhaustion or burnout or just imposter syndrome sometimes many of us look out as if look at that green grass over there I'm going to go there my life will be better there and then I'll be happy if I go there and sometimes you know what you said made me realize if we just stay here and and spread those roots out wider and go deeper instead of uprooting and going out dig down deeper and say all right now is there something else i can do here can i broaden myself here and will i find something if i spread out those root tentacles will i find something right here instead of having to literally go there so i don't i guess it's on a lot of like dirt and organic stuff growing <laughs> metaphors today but you know what i'm saying Yeah. I mean, I always tell people that, you know, and I learned this probably growing up more than I realized is that when you work for a major academic institution, I mean, you can change, you can transform yourself all the time. And, you know, the idea, you know, I always think about times when I've felt a little lost like that and they have, you know, it's not like it just was junior faculty. I mean, I've had phases and I, you know, one of the things I've learned to recognize is when I'm starting to feel a little bit nauseous or like dread going to work, that's a signal for me because I usually love going to work. Um, and so I've learned to pay attention to that and to say, and even in this trans, you know, this transition to associate Dean, I was doing a lot of work in the department of medicine at the time. And I just had a feeling that it was time. I had opportunities to stay there, but just felt at this point in my life, I wanted to do something different and something new and work with a different group of people. And luckily for us in these big institutions, we can do that right here. We don't have to uproot our families or change companies. I mean, I think for sometimes it is worth changing obviously absolutely um but i have kids in high school and so i just didn't feel like that was much of an option for my family at this time and as i said my husband's also on faculty so but there are always opportunities to change what you do um so yeah and i come back to something else i i guess after this conversation i'll have to reach out to dr bashore because another thing he told me once was you have to do a new job every 10 years Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to move, but you have to do something new because you can't do the same thing for 50 years. Um, and so I, I guess he's taught me a lot more wisdom in my life than I really realized. I um, love it. I love yeah. it. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I think there is lots of opportunity if we're willing to kind of be curious about what we can do or how we can fit in. You, you are exactly right. And we are so priv- privileged to work in academic medicine that is uh, offers so many opportunities. We're not just making a widget, one thing that that's what our role will be for the rest of our lives. We are there's so much depth and breadth and it's such a, a noble uh, enterprise that we do. So there's yeah, lots of opportunities. Now, Carrie Ward, you said something earlier that I think is going to lead us into this really cool conversation. You said something about purposeful connectedness and purposeful connection. Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something that I have. So in our faculty development programming here at Duke, we've been sort of thinking about, well, let me back up and say that what we have known about our programming for a long time is that the didactics that people get in our programs are great. Negotiation. Anne Brown does difficult conversations. We do Myers-Briggs that you mentioned. You know, we, we do all those things. But the things that people love about the programs, the things they take away for them are really the peer group, right? Yeah, right. Um, and that was totally my experience as well. But, you know, after when COVID happened, of course, all of us learned a lot of lessons during that time. But for me, this big thing that I do all the time was taken away from me, which is that I love to be here in my office and when I get bored or whatever, walk out into the hallway and you know, see somebody I haven't seen before, be in the cafeteria, run into somebody for coffee. Um, and what I realized during COVID when I didn't have that is I actually used those opportunities a lot for promoting my agenda for you know, making connections, making sure people know what I'm interested in, what I'm working on, how can they help me? So um, it's just interesting that I, I think young faculty don't realize how much kind of thought goes in. Now, I'm an extrovert. I love relationships, like I said, so it comes easily to me. But it's such an important skill to have that maybe I didn't realize I was doing till COVID was here. But this idea that like I tell I sort of counsel faculty, like when you're walking down the hall, do not look at your phone, look and see who's passing by, stop and talk to them and say, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about X, Y, Z that I'm doing, or I could really use your advice on blah, blah, blah. Um, And that sort of um, those kinds of connections are so important um, because later you may need those people either to help you with a project um, or for important initiatives that you need their advice on. Um, and I also think there's a big thing to be said for social accountability with the idea that like when you have, when you work on connections like that and know lots of different faculty, um, you think of them when you're deciding about something, when you're making a decision, it's like, well, how would, you know, my friend Clay react to that? He's a hospitalist. What would he think about that? How would my friends in anesthesia? And it's easier to think about a person you know than just anesthesia. And so I think that that kind of, and, and I think people just think it comes naturally, but actually I, when I realize I do a lot of thinking about it, like scanning the hallway, who's here that I need to talk to. And maybe that sounds Machiavellian, but I just, for people who to whom that doesn't come naturally, I think it's an important skill to develop. I totally agree with you, Carrie. And I also share the blessing and curse of being an extrovert. So I get it. I mean, I, yes, I'm still in my basement almost, you know, three years later. And I've, <laughs> of course, adapted um, at the expense of a few, you know, brain cells and I don't know what, but it, it's tough for me. And even when I go on campus, I feel like um, even, some people are wearing masks. It's still that the masking is another way of in cloaking yourself in invisibility, you know, like if I, I'm wearing a mask and 
we're supposed to be physical distancing. And so there's a little bit of that residual um, space between people and not making eye contact. And then I noticed like at the gym, it's always been the case with younger generations always have earbuds in anyway. I mean, I've had so many conversations with young people only to realize they're not even hearing me, but so that, there's that that kind of sensibility of like, oh, darn, we can't have those water cooler conversations. Like you said, yeah. even in, and even as much as gossip is, you know, the, a negative connotation or negative word, you learn about, oh, what who's moving into this space or who's moved out of that space. And you learn little things about, oh, this is important. I had no idea that this is the new vendor for that. And that's going to impact me. So just even little things that we would hear in the olden days. Um, you lose all that. So that connectedness of even the minutia and the trivia and and to what you're you're saying more decisively, those those moments in life where you connect with someone that just kind of brings a little spark of, hey, that yeah. I told people like the serendipity of it is what makes it exciting, right? You don't know who's in the hallway when you go. Maybe you're going to see the chairman of medicine. Maybe you're going to see the dean. You never know. Um, And that like losing that serendipity. But I think, you know, sort of to bring it back to kind of leadership and that kind of thing. I mean, what I also learned is incredibly important for leaders to be sort of with boots on the ground, right? Like, you know, part of what a lot of that is intel for me. Like I'm sort of thinking about like, what do people need? What are people thinking? How are people feeling? And I just... And again, I, I want to be sort of sensitive to the fact that not everyone loves to do that stuff and not everyone is like, has like sort of skills there, but I still think we all should be thinking about that and use it as a way to promote ourselves, our agendas, our projects, ask for help, um, that those connections that we do sort of serendipitously are really important. Yeah. And, and Carrie also for the, for the, our introverted um, brothers and sisters, I learned at our leadership program for early career women just last week, there are two things. What were they? Oh, oh gosh. Um, one, oh, it was put, they put in the chat. There's something called the, the eight minute phone call. It's either a book or a blog or a thing. It's a thing. The eight minute phone call. And, and that is you schedule that with your friends, your besties, knowing that it's only eight minutes. So the mm-hmm. idea is, you know, you're not going to get into the whole, oh, I can't possibly give Carrie a call because when she and I get on the phone, it's it's a gab fest and it's an hour and a half and I don't have an hour and a half to kill. But if we know that Carrie and I have our eight minute touch point, it's just get down to the business. Tell me about what about yeah. how's that one molecule man doing? Like, how's your basement doing, Kim? I mean, it's real quick, 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 but it's that eight minutes and they're like, it works. Everybody's just kind of, do they do group calls? And then the other thing was, Another faculty member shared, she's like, we have, it's called the council, not the council of elders. I'm thinking of like hobbits and um, the council of something, but they made it called the council of wise women or something, but it's just called the council and it's in their calendars. And so their husband, these women, their husbands will say, oh, we're, do you have a council meeting? They're like, yeah, we got a council meeting. It's going to be late. And it's always, they, they call themselves the council and the council will get together for happy hours and for conversations and for Saturday morning runs. But they make a thing and make a point to put in each other's calendar. So it, my point is, if you're not comfortable going out as the extrovert and running around and, and hugging people like I always want to do, you can engage in activities that are a little bit more laid back and not so in your face. You could be with one, you know, one-to-one or small groups of people that's more comfortable for introverts. 
Yeah. And again, like if the, that's the nice thing about the, you know, the walk down the hallway is it can only last so long because you're both going somewhere else. So, you know, I know in the, in the AAMC, um, you know, seminars or faculty development seminars, they also often teach you about the elevator speech. And like, I don't really have an elevator speech, but for, but for an introvert or someone who doesn't love to talk to people like I do, um, you know, the idea that if you see the chairman of medicine walking down the hall and you've been thinking about this project, that's a great opportunity to walk with them and be like, hey, I want to tell you about this, you know, cardiobstetrics clinic I'm working on. This is what we're doing. I could really use your help with blah, you know, like it's just a nice sort of succinct opportunity. And they're prison, you're they're your prisoner. They can't like leave you. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't say like, oh, I can't talk right now, you know, because you're just walking. <laughs> so um I-, I guess, you know, sort of to think about it, you know, there's obviously just extroverted relationship building that's but also there's this purposeful kind of like oh there's so and so and I need to talk to them about this and I'm going to take this moment to do that that's right and 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 I like the, the emphasis on purposeful that if this is a challenge for us we can you know put it in your calendar for once a week on a Thursday um, when I go in I'm going to go to the cafeteria and I'm going to meet somebody for coffee or I'm going to say hi to three people or when I go to my next professional conference in person or even on Zoom, I'm going to make it a point to attend the breakout where blah, 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 or go to the social networking for 10 minutes. I'm going to make sure I meet five people. You can do it in little bite-sized bits, but, you know, take, take that in and see how that, that, you know, how you think about that, how you feel about that. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I even counsel young faculty to meet with an, an important person, however important is defined to you once a week. So either you see them in the hallway or you make an appointment in their office or you purposely go to the cath lab when they're cathing. I mean, you know, in other words, like, so that you have that people are seeing you routinely um, and remembering you. So purposeful, how about this? Purposeful serendipity, because we think serendipity, well, yeah. nothing ever serendipitous happens to me. Well, you could, yeah, if you're not going anywhere doing anything, but if it's purposeful, you're creating opportunities for yes. serendipity and coincidence and 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 creation and innovation just by purposely putting yourself in environments where you're right. likely to catalyze. Or yeah. if it's Thursday and you haven't seen anybody important, you can say like, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to go, you know, to this coffee shop where I, you know, so like, it's just that idea of sort of making sure that you are making those connections and being seen um, on a regular oh, basis. Very strategic. Yeah. It's very, and it's easy. That's something easy. I love it, Carrie. All right. You've got a third topic that I am dying to hear about. What is that? <laughs> well, this is just a personal uh, thing that I'm trying, I think that I think applies to others, which is that, um, you know, I've been sort of new in my new role. I've been thinking, how can I help faculty? Like what would help them the most? Right. And obviously we think about more programs, more speakers, more skills. Um, but I actually am thinking a lot about the way we communicate in big academic medical centers. And some of this may be Duke centric. I'm not sure, but um, I think faculty are getting killed by their email and there's email and then there's your epic in basket and there's your pager, which I think is less of a thing these days. Um, And so I've been trying to think of a way that we could communicate with faculty about things that were important to them um, in a way that was not via email. Cause I feel like that our faculty, I don't know what the Hopkins fact, but our faculty are always like, Oh, I didn't know that was happening. Like, where was that? All um, the time. Yeah. Cause we set up these rules in our in basket and in our inbox to like take things out, you know, 
And so wouldn't it be great if when you went to your email, it was all like just personal things from people like that were directed to you, you, um, and then you would know what to answer and everything else kind of came in some other um, format. So I've been, I don't, and this is a really a new thing I've been thinking about, but I've thought about, I talked to my daughter who's an undergrad, like how did your university, how do you know what's happening? And, you know, I don't think, I'm not sure that social media is the way to go. Cause I think some of this, we would want behind the firewall, but you know, I just laugh like my Weight Watchers app. Like if I log Chobani yogurt, it says to me, Hey, you've logged Chobani yogurt twice. Do you want it to be a favorite? And and so, like, why couldn't we have some kind of communications platform that knew that you and I were interested in faculty development and then would suggest, hey, that talk is today at four o'clock. Do you want to go? And then you and also on my daughter's undergraduate campus, you can see who else is going. So you can like send it. I could send it to you. Kim, I'm going to go to this talk. Don't you want to go together? Like and all that would be in one place and suggested to you based on your likes and preferences. And it wouldn't be, you know, eight, it's like 8000 notifications in your email that you don't read. So I'm just sort of coming, uh, like trying to figure out what that would look like. And I'm not even sure it's possible. Um, But I do feel like. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, mean, Facebook, you know, it's like, could we have a social media app that was specific to our institution? And there are my daughter's university, like they purchased a third party software that does this. I don't know how perfect it is or adoptable, but and wouldn't it be nice if like all the sort of university-wide stuff was suggested to you on your phone as a notification you synced with your calendar but the email was like something from ann brown something from kim something from you know whoever it was specific to me oh carrie ward you and i are sisters because this is to me precision faculty development there's precision medicine there's precision education back in either 2018 or 19 in Chicago at the GFA, Group on Faculty Affairs Professional Development Conference, my buddy Charlie Irving and I, Irvin and I, talked about precision faculty development. And I went on a thing, a rant, not about Chimani Yogurt and Weight Watchers, but it was the same idea. Amazon. I'm like, why Amazon.com knows that I love yellow? Hence, I'm wearing yellow shirt. So they know that, oh, this is the one who likes the yellow stuff. So if she wants yellow shoes, you might also like this yellow bag and this yellow purse and this yellow la la la. That they, and then if people, of course, say, well, of course, our Amazon, they have like a billion dollars. But the idea that they can personalize my marketing to me because they know my search history. So yeah. exactly what you're saying, Carrie, you are exactly right. Precision faculty development, whereby faculty members go in and at this season of their life for this year, maybe during their annual review, they work with their primary mentor or a team of mentors and say, this is the year I'm going to work on my negotiating skills, or this is the year I really want to work on my mentoring skills or being a good mentee, whatever it is, grant writing. They pick that maybe, and then they click certain, you know, they want to do that. And then all those specifically tailored, the basic level, the 101 level, the 201 level, the 301 get pushed to them and pre-populated in the calendar is like, you're the one, Kate Carey, you said you wanted to do this. This is a whole year laid out for you of opportunities that come up along that interest. Or, you know, if you have a host of things that I'm interested in these five or six things. And like you said, that we only get those things, not the whole, the whole course catalog for the entire university. I'm not a major of in chemistry. I don't need that, but I want to see the things in psychology. Yeah. Like here's another example, holiday messages from leadership. 
Wonderful idea. So special. I love it. Wouldn't it be nice if like you could just scroll and see it? Oh, you know, Dr. Klotman sent a holiday message. Isn't that nice? And it wasn't like an, like that kind of stuff would come there. So you would know it happened. You'd be able to read it, but it was not emailed to you. I don't, I don't, maybe, I maybe that sounds, I just, email to me just feels onerous. I don't know if other right. people. Yeah. Oh, you No, I, Karen, you are, you are spot on because we hear all the time. I don't know. This is probably, we were both saying, maybe this is just here. Yeah. One, you see one academic, academic medical center, you see one academic medical center, but yet we do have similar things. COVID, everybody's reached to a halt for in, in-person program. We all went to Zoom. Our faculty members, like many across the country, they voted by the mouse click. They were clicking into everything. We had more attendance than ever on these Zoom sessions. And guess what's happened now? Nothing. It's all tanked again. Faculty aren't clicking into things. What we find out later, what my hypothesis was, and it's been confirmed informally, is that they're watching recordings of things on double and triple speed or listening to recordings. They're listening to YouTube versions of our content. They're not even, they're not even pretending anymore to click into the Zoom seminar and then yep. taking their camera off. They're not even doing that while they're multitasking. They're just no, they know that here at Hopkins, we record things and then we put it in a, a SharePoint, a live stream thing. And then they go and they listen to it while they're doing, you know, 13 other things. So, and then they say, I have hundreds of emails a day. A day. Yeah. So of course, of course. And it, it, my, my mind just explodes because I happen, my one of my top strength, my actual number one strength, according to the Clifton Strengths inventory is input. So I'm one of these weirdo people who reads every email I get because my brain like wants to know everything. Cause then I sort and disseminate and hand off and move and organize and that's I love that. So I get annoyed when I'm like, you didn't read that. How can I read that? It just takes a <laughs> second yeah. to read it. I'm your worst enemy, Kim. I'm your worst. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I saw that. I didn't read it. Like oh, you know, yeah. but they don't nobody has time. And why would they? It's inefficient. So Carrie, you are so right. We can figure out how to do this. My local pizza joint, it's ampersand pizza. So it's and pizza. I've got that ampersand sign. It's and pizza. And they every day send it, they send it these crazy kooky coupons in text messages. I mean, because we thought, let's just start texting our faculty. But I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, my nail salon texts me. My pizza joint texts me. Everybody's texting me. So no matter what you do, I feel like emails and the, the TV monitor displays, the websites, the calendars on the websites, no matter what you do, it's going to be a lot. But we have to get the message out somehow. So I remember back in the day, and I'm in my late 50s, we, my paycheck would come in an envelope and it would have a newsletter jammed in that envelope. And I'm like, do we go back to mail? Do people have that mailboxes? Do we send them mail? No, bad idea. But the point is, Carrie, you're exactly right. There's got to be an app. There's got to be a way of personalizing content so it's efficient, it's on time, it's where they are using the delivery mechanism that works for them. If they want to listen to it podcasty, if they want to read it, if they want to totally. have three talking points jammed in their calendar if they want the yeah, microchip I mean, like for the recordings like you know you could have like a notification like three recordings have been populated here's the link they go to the you know oh. but the idea is like they can look at it when they want to and see what's suggested that day what applies to them they don't have to um you know del- i don't yeah i just think Scour, there's so yeah. much better to do it um and i think we could harness some of that kind of stuff that we've learned from social media or the software that's available and do it. So anyway, that 
um, that's sort of like a, the newest thing I've been thinking about. And I'm with you. I'm with I you. think precision faculty development is a great yeah. name for it. Content curated for our faculty, like almost like personal librarians or personal concierge. Imagine yourself at a, a boutique hotel and you just go, oh, my gosh, are you the concierge? Wonderful. Oh, Carrie, I'd love to have a massage at 11. I want to do Pilates at one. I want to go for a bike ride there. And then I want a healthy Mediterranean style dinner. And then I want to watch a really great movie, um, you know, a French, whatever, romance. Carrie's <laughs> like on it. And you personalize those experiences for me. Why can't we do that in academic medicine? I share your curiosity about this, your excitement about it. It's doable. It does take an investment. So I don't know how to do it on the cheap. And we've tried doing things like a platform where it would be almost a fillable fillable document of click the things you're interested in and then having that content pushed directly. But Carrie, you know, it's the same thing. They still end up getting an email and, and they can't keep up with it. And then we get things like, well, can you give us these opportunities, you know, nine months in advance? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're already trying to schedule things six months in advance. Now we're trying to schedule things nine months and 12 minutes in advance. And then it gets to be this big logistic nightmare. And then we'll schedule these things and 45 people have signed up and then 12 show up. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, well, that's a whole, that sort of part thing is a whole nother podcast about like yeah. the idea of like, all, like timing and programming. People want it way ahead of time, you know, but then yeah, it's just, it's so, um, yeah, I mean, it's wonderful that we have like this diverse group of faculty of a lot of interests and also hard to tailor programming that makes everybody happy. Um, but at least this precision faculty development would give them the opportunity to decide what they want and when they want it and, you know, make decisions without uh, jamming up their em email inbox. Yeah. You know, now I'm going to get a little bit off crazy pants here, but science fiction, I'm thinking back to the red pill, blue pill. <laughs> wills like like there's some kind of can we just like put a chip and just download or i'm imagining myself going oh my gosh you know go to the bat phone carrie i'm about to meet with the dean um can you help me re remind me the top three things that i have to do as an extrovert who tends to you know be really impatient what do i need to do and you're like you just like jack it into my brain and be like that's right that's Damn, right no. yeah this is what you do one two three and i'll be like okay that's right that's right or the the Cyrano de Bergeracking me of like, you're just with Kim. We're sensing your blood pressure is going up. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Get that crunchy. Stop that eyebrow from raising Kim. Kim, you're getting, we can, we can sense a sarcastic tone emanating from your brain and your vocal cords. We are now muting your vocal cords. So <laughs> a bit, but yeah, yeah. I'm going, up, I'm going up the edge there, but there's got to be something in between <laughs> that sense of robotic totally. control. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, this is so fun talking to you. I love, I love all your stories. Thank you so much for your honesty and sharing so much about how you got here and your obvious passion and love for faculty and trying to help and make their lives better and easier. And that's why we do this job, right? It just, it's so, yeah. it's common sense for us to want right. to help others. So thank you for and, doing it. You know, I always feel, I'm sure as you do, I always feel so lucky to work with the incredibly smart, fun, talented people I get to enjoy. Um, and that's what makes me want to help them because I'm never cease to be amazed at the things that they do and think of and say. Um, and so it's really a privilege to get to be in a position where I can make their lives a bit easier or more interesting, or maybe with less email. Um, so yeah, I feel very lucky to be here.
Ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> Dr. Carrie Ward at Duke, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the Faculty Factory podcast and sharing your wisdom. Anybody listening in, wasn't this a great conversation? Wouldn't you like to be part of it? Why don't you drop us an email at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com, facultyfactorykim at gmail.com, or go to thefacultyfactory.org. There's a way to get in touch with me there. Sponsor someone else to be on, on the web, on the podcast. We need to share all the, all this wonderful things you're all doing. So again, Dr. Carrie Ward, thank you so much. And until the next time, tune into the Faculty Factory podcast. Bye, Carrie. But thanks, Kim. It was great fun. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.